having followed Jesus' ministry through the entire Gospel of Luke and through all the Gospels, we come to this portion and we're pitched into this chaos, this meaninglessness, this darkness, and it doesn't seem like there's any way out of it. As we've heard preached over the last several weeks here at Incarnation, the gospel can be looked at in this way of Jesus coming to conquer evil, to conquer um, all that is dark and chaotic in the world, and to win a victory for us, to bring us to a place of love. And all this is motivated by God's love for us. As we come to this section of scripture, it's unique in its acuteness, in the severity of the chaos that we see, but it's not a new theme. As we think about the scriptures starting all the way back in the Genesis creation narrative, Jesus has always been presented as the hinge that stands between chaos and peace, of of chaos and shalom. If we remember how um, the Genesis narrative is written, we see that, that before the word that was with God in John 1 speaks into this um, uncreated thing, it's described as dark, as um, void, as empty. So you think of things like, um, like darkness and isolation and, and, and a lack of any kind of structure And then Jesus, the one who is with God and the one who is God, comes in and essentially um, consumes all of that darkness and and all those things into himself and, and through his words exhales this perfection. He exhales this light and life and meaning and joy and structure and um and and transforms this chaos into shalom, into a place of perfect peace and these symbiotic relationships. As we continue to see Jesus through the Gospels, it's a similar thing. Often, when you see Jesus, there's something chaotic hitting Jesus and then he's transferring it into this thing of peace. So think about the birth narratives, right? In Luke... Um, it's Caesar Augustus and he's calling for this census of the whole world and so this young family with this very pregnant lady they have to go on this long trip and it's just like dusty and and there's a lot of anxiety as you read this and as you imagine being part of this family and then they get to this destination a long way away and sure enough there's nowhere for them to stay, right? So there's just this chaos, this agitation that's building up. And then this baby is born. And what happens? Immediately when this baby is born, on the other side of the birth of this baby, the skies are filled with a multitude of angels saying, Shalom, peace on earth with whom God is pleased to dwell. In Matthew's gospel, similarly, we see Herod, this king, 
Um, and, and so he's in place. And then there are these other kings, so to speak, from the east. And they come. So there's this convergence of kings. But there's this conflict and there's this chaos. Such that it reaches a fever pitch when, um, when Herod goes after all these newborn babies. And so there's this genocide, right? And, and, and as Jesus is born and into this, he's facing this chaos. But then as that story winds down, we see these Magi, these wise men with gifts, laying them out before Jesus and recognizing him as the real king. So there's chaos and peace on either side of Jesus. And he again and again is presented as this hinge between chaos and perfect peace. Every miracle is presented this way, right? There's the chaos of um, and the meaninglessness or the, the death or the lifelessness of some disease or ailment. And it comes to Jesus and Jesus absorbs it. And out of him comes peace. Blindness comes and presents itself to Jesus and he absorbs it and out of him comes sight. Death comes to Jesus and he absorbs it and out of him comes life. Leprosy comes to Jesus and he absorbs it and out of him comes perfect cleanliness and restoration. Maybe most, most acutely we see it, especially if you think about the, 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 the creation narrative, when Jesus is in this boat with these disciples and all of a sudden this massive storm blows up. It's chaos, right? It's dark. These guys are isolated. They're even despairing of life. So you think of everything that that's absent from shalom, all the antitheses to shalom, they're, they're, they're in effect here in this boat to where these, these men who are seasoned, most of them sailors, are saying, you know, don't you even care that we're perishing? Like, life is being taken away from them as they feel that their very beings are being disintegrated. But Jesus takes that into himself and exhales this word, shalom, and the, this great storm is replaced by a great calm. Over and over again, we see Jesus standing as this hinge, absorbing chaos and creating shalom instead. So this theme isn't new, but what happens at the cross is different. What we just heard read is different. Jesus isn't kind of bowed up in the middle of this story, right? Like he is in all the miracle stories. A leper comes up and says, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I will be clean. Not like that. But, you know, he's unwavering. He's just this unflinching power. Yahweh is here in the flesh. And he's just getting it all done. He's getting it done with being tempted in the, in, the, in the wilderness. He's getting it done with all these diseases and demon possessions. He's getting it done with this paralytic's sins when he says, your faith, because of your faith, your sins are forgiven. I mean, there's nothing that, that can be set up for Jesus in terms of chaos that he can't just blow through and restore. And then you get to this story that we just heard. Jesus makes this decision from the upper room to go from there to the garden to pray. And from that moment, somewhere in the middle of his prayer, he stops being in control. He relinquishes control. The chaos begins to overwhelm him. 
for the first time, we see Jesus being led and, and not in control at all. He's captured. He's bound. He's brought to the house of the high priest and kept in some kind of holding area, right? Some dungeony place or some whatever um, mud room that they have set up because the high priest and the, those people aren't seeing him until the morning. It's the Passover feast, remember? So the important people are doing their thing with their families and friends. But Jesus is, is brought here and he's bound and he's questioned and he's mocked by these people while Peter is out in the courtyard um, denying him. And then first thing in the morning, he's taken from there to uh, this assembly of the, the elders of Israel, including all the, the Pharisees and scribes. And they mock him, and they question him, and they trap him. And then, and then when they've had their fill, they bring him from there to Pilate. And Pilate does the same thing. And he's all along the way being beaten up and mocked and ridiculed. And he's taken from there to another place, to Herod's place. And the same thing happens, and Herod puts this fancy robe on him. And then he gets taken from there over to Pilate. You see how there's this relinquishing of control where now Jesus is being, he's this movable property. He's just being passed from one angry, derisive group to another. And just all this chaos is just soaking him and overwhelming him. He's um, pulled the oars in, so to speak. And he's just going from one current of malice to another. And it overwhelms him. He goes from Pilate to Herod, from Herod back to Pilate, from Pilate to the angry crowd, from the angry crowd to the Romans, to the Rome, from the Romans to the cross, from the cross, from this life to death. Jesus was unraveled and disintegrated. He was consumed by this chaos. And as Jesus dies, the way that it's written in the scriptures is that even creation is um, punctuating. Th th what's happening here is creation itself goes into, it's pitched in darkness. It's like it reverts back to before Jesus steps on the scene as the, the word who holds all things together. As, as this light is extinguished, as this power is extinguished, creation is agreeing. We're going to go dark. How about some earthquakes? Chaos. Interestingly, and we'll hear more about this as the story progresses on Sunday, as all this is happening, the veil in the temple is torn from top to bottom. So somehow, this thing that's happened, even though Jesus is being consumed by chaos, as he's consumed by chaos, somehow this deep thing is happening such that the thing that separates you from God, from having perfect fellowship with him, from coming and pulling up a chair at his table and having complete union with him, somehow this chaos that is consuming Jesus is is determining this action in the temple and, and tearing this veil from top to bottom. But as we commemorate and participate in Good Friday, as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus as he hung on that cross and all of the chaos that brought him there, all of this anxiety and meaninglessness, isolation, this injustice. 
It brings us back to words that we maybe have grown familiar with and, and, and in our familiarity with them have forgotten how to apply. Maybe, maybe as we consider Jesus being consumed by that chaos, it helps us to take him at his word when he says things to us like, come to me when you're weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. I get it. I get what it's like to be weary and heavy laden. I know what it is to be burdened. And the cross gives us a place to go. The, the cross reminds us that we always have this person that we can go to and say, I'm like that. Can you give me help? Scriptures that say, that, that compel us to come with confidence to the throne of grace so that we can find mercy and grace for every time of need. Because Jesus is a merciful and sympathetic high priest, not one that can't identify with our weaknesses, but one in every way. He, he knows what it is to be overwhelmed and consumed by chaos, by evil, by frailty. Every aspect of anything that you can suffer, Jesus suffered for you already. Not just for the whole world, though yes, for the whole world. The whole world is a macrocosm of you as a microcosm. There's no uh, doubt that you're suffering. There's no anxiety that you're suffering. There's no pain or trauma that you're suffering. There's no sin that you've committed that brings you shame or sin that someone else has committed against you that brings you anger and despair and, and, and brokenness that you can't come to Jesus with and say, I want your mercy and I want your help right now. Everything that you could possibly name is something that Jesus can find in himself as a mark that's already been laid there on your behalf. And as you come to him with your matching chaos, you can receive in return his peace. We can take Peter up on his exhortation that, that God wants to lift you up. The cross has made a way where we know without a shadow of a doubt that as we bring our cares to him, as we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, casting our cares on him because he cares for us, he, for us, he will lift us up in due time. That we don't need to carry and be consumed by our own anxieties but we can come and lay them at Jesus' feet that he may in turn give us his perfect peace that passes understanding. The cross is the crescendo of chaos, of, of evil and wickedness run riot. Run riot all over a person, all over our God who stood there willingly and was carried along by it and was consumed by it, even to the point of death, so that on the other side of that, he might offer us his hope and his peace and his healing. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.